Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, everybody. We started out the new year talking about hope. And then all through January, we've been talking about how can we receive fresh hope in our lives, and especially at the places that we need it most. So I want to ask today, how many here could use some financial hope in your life? Now, I know it, it, it is a bit of a setup question there, because, I mean, for those who just kind of shoot their hands up like that, it's like, oop. I just let the cat out of the bag right there. Things are not going as well as I would like for them to be going. Or on the other hand, if you don't raise your hand, what, what we're doing is we're just saying together like, I'm good, I've got no financial worries whatsoever. So as long as we are doing setup questions, and this is a setup question, I'd like to ask, how many here would declare that you are a financially rich person? You are a wealthy person financially. You can just drop that in the chat as well. We're gonna take careful note of this, right? Like, what? Like, now, you may wonder, like, why are you asking that question? Because in just a moment or two, we are going to look at a word from God to financially rich people. So if you're one of them, then you really wanna take note about, hey, God's talking to you here. If you're not one, on the other hand, you may be going like, I'm really interested to know what God has to say to the rich people of the world. It was a really interesting, I thought it was a really interesting survey that took place last fall, nationally taken, and the question centered on this. How much more would you need to make in order to be rich? Now, got an answer in your mind already? I thought I knew what the answer was gonna be, and I was wrong. I thought, you know, it was gonna come out that people would say, well, I just need to make a little bit more if I'm gonna be considered rich. That wasn't the answer at all. The answer was double. You needed to make twice what you're currently making in order to be rich. Now, here's what I got as far as intrigue with this. To those who are making $50,000 a year, when they're asked the question, how much more would you need to make? Because they didn't use the term double. They said, how much more would you need to make if you're making $50,000 now to be considered rich? They said, $100,000. To people that said, how much more would you need to make? If they were making $100,000, they said, I need to make $200,000. To people that were making $250,000 a year, they answered, I would need to make $500,000 a year. And to those that were making a million dollars a year, their answer to the question was, I would need to make, what? $2 million a year if I'm gonna be considered rich. You can go all across the US and ask people, are you a rich person? 98% of people are gonna go, I'm not a, I'm not a rich person. Because you're looking at that 2% that just like, wow, they've got like all of this because I'm not there, I really don't consider myself rich. Now in Jesus' day, there were three financial classes. There were the poor, there were the rich, and then there were the uber rich. In order to be considered rich in Jesus' day, there was three criterion that you would have to um, make. The first criterion was this that you would not have to be worried 
whether or not you would be able to eat or feed your family tomorrow. That's criterion one. Criterion number two, you couldn't be homeless. And the third criterion was this. You had more than one change of clothes. Now, it's kind of like a bonus in here, too. If you could afford meat one day a week, then you were considered rich. In other words, you were a person that had some discretionary income. I like that term, don't you? Discretionary. What is, what is discretionary income? Well, discretionary income would be when you can walk into a cell phone store with a cell phone that works, but still walk out with a brand new one. Or you at times find yourself getting frustrated because you can't decide what you want to eat tonight or where you want to go out to eat. That is just so frustrating, isn't it? Or if you could go an entire week without having to repeat wearing the same amount of clothes, well then, you got some discretionary income. So just based on what Jesus' standard was, three criterion, or having some discretionary income, how many here would say, well, I guess that I am rich then? Can I ask your hands? Come on, let's get, let's get them up there. Like, online, same thing. Isn't this good news? I mean, who knew when you were walking in that you were a rich person, right? I mean, like, this is a very, very good day. So, to all of you rich people, God has a word. If you happen to have a Bible with you, or you can open up your phone to your Bible app, I want you to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me. Because here's a word to those who are rich. Now actually in verses 9 and following, God speaks to those who want to be rich. So if you're a person who wants to be rich, you can check out in verse 9. But we're talking now about those who are rich. And so... We read this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We have here four commands that God is giving to, four imperatives for those who are rich. Now, this is actually kind of an unusual way of stating things because in the New Testament, we're normally given principles and we take these principles and apply them to different aspects of our life. But here we have these commands that are given in this way or the imperatives that are there. There's four of them. Two are negative or don't do this. Two of them are positive as in for sure you wanna do this. Let's just consider them real quickly. The first one is this. To the rich people is this word, don't be arrogant. Would you say that once with me, everybody? Ready? Don't be arrogant. Right. Now, why would God be telling rich people, don't be arrogant? Because it's almost a universal temptation that comes to somebody that is a person of means or is rich that way. You find when you have more that is more than somebody else, when you find out that you're better off than somebody else, it's easy to begin to think, as you look at other people that don't have what you have, that you are 
smarter. You are harder working. You're just a little bit better than people like that. And it just continues on in our life. It just kind of this, it feeds that pride that's in there and arrogance is a result of that. One of the things that we do, this is like the fatal flaw of this when it comes to this attitude of arrogance is we think it's all about us. How did we get what we got? It's because I worked hard. I earned it. I mean, I was a part of this family and then I took it and built this out of it. It's like, you know, it's all, it's what we do. Hence, we get arrogant, right? But God said, remember that it is the Lord your God that gives you the power to get wealth. Oh yeah. Or, I really don't think about that because I'm just so busy thinking about me. We ask the question again, like, why did we get this command in front of us? Don't be arrogant. It's because being a follower of Jesus doesn't exempt us from this. And when we as followers of Jesus display this attitude of arrogance, we really misrepresent Jesus. And we find ourselves becoming unattractive. Who wants to be around an arrogant person, right? Our witness for Jesus, it's really tarnished at that point because again, nobody wants to come to that. We can't light the way if we let this arrogance creep into our lives. And it's always going to try to do just that. So, one, don't be arrogant. Two, second thing that we're commanded here is don't misplace your hope. Would you say that with me? Don't misplace your hope. Here's a maxim if you wanna um, write this down. Misplace hope plus time equals hopelessness. Whereas inversely, well-placed hope plus time equals hope-filledness. You find yourself at this point in life and you go like, I just, I'm feeling rather hopeless right now. You can almost, just, you can backtrack, you can go back in time and look at, well, this is because I put my, I misplaced my hope right here and now it's played out into this way in my life. So God tells us, be very careful. Don't put your hope in riches that are so uncertain. And many of us have experienced that uncertainty just with the stock market, you know, in the last year or so. I know, you know, just in the retirement, as I've looked at that in my account, you, know, you lose 20% and you're just kind of like, it's going to be a good hope check for us that way. Almost all of us will put our hope in one of two places when it comes to our future. The two places that we are going to be tempted to put our hope would be in either Plutus or in Jesus. Now, when you look at that, of course, Plutus is gonna need a little bit of explanation for us. For the hearers, what Paul was writing to those in Ephesus, Plutus needed zero explanation at all. Now, Plutus happens to be the god of wealth. But he was so well known there. It'd be like, you know, today throwing out a name like Michael Jordan. And you're like, well, Michael Jordan? I, I know about Michael Jordan. Or we talked about Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. You're like, well, 
I, I know about them. Or even, you know, Tom Brady. People go like, oh, I recognize that name. That's how Plutus was to those in that day. Now, there's actually a little bit of a wordplay that goes on here, too. This kind of cool. The word for riches that we read here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the word is actually plutus. So you'd actually add O right here, P-L-O-U-T-U-S. That's the word. Don't put your hope in plutus, in the riches. But the God of riches, he had such a permanence into society there that it's, it's carried through. You may not be familiar with the term, but if you were to open up the dictionary today, a word in our dictionary is plutonomics. Plutonomics is the study of wealth management. And of course, you can also look in the dictionary to find plutolatry, which is the worship of wealth. Don't you love it? Now here's one of the things that everybody knew about Plutus that we wouldn't know unless we you know, were told this, Plutus, the god of wealth, was blind. Wealth actually led to Plutus' blindness. And so here's our challenge. Where are we going to put our hope? Now you may say, hope for what? You see, Plutus is saying, trust me, because I will give you life to the full. Whereas Jesus is saying, Trust me, and I will give you life to the full. Hope is an assured expectation. In other words, hope is what you can bet the farm on. Bet your life on it. So what are you going to put your hope, what are you going to work your life around when it comes to where's your hope for life to the full? Where's your hope for the best life that you can experience even here on earth? A lot of us are going like, well, Plutus is where it's at. And Plutus is not a passive force in our life too. Plutus, he lobbies hard. He said, if you will work for me, if you'll give your life to me, if you'll give your life to, to making more money, to getting more stuff, to getting further ahead, I can guarantee you, I will bring you life to the full. And so many do. Where on the other hand, Jesus says, it's not Plutus, but it's me. And we are going to have quite a competition of time on what we should do and where our values are at. But if you put your hope in me, I will be able to deliver to you life to the full. Truth. Every one of us has a card. And every one of us has a card that's placed when you came in today. I know, sometimes we want to say, well, I'm just kind of in the middle. Uh, the middle, there's not a middle spot. We are here or we are here. Though I will confess, I'm not sure how it happens, but I, I swear I go to bed and my hope is here. And sometime in the middle of the next day, maybe when I just looked at the stock market again, <laughs> I found out it's like, how did my hope get over here? How about you? Where's your hope today? I know we all know the right answer. But what's the real answer? A little bit more that we can find out about where our hope is according to the real answer. We got the don'ts, but let's, let's look at these do's real quickly. Verse number 18. Verse 18 tells us that we should be rich in good deeds. 
We want to um, do good that way. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Work with me now. Take your two hands, and if you just put them out in front of you like this, just right here. You don't have to go out like this, but just, you know, just kind of here, and once you get a little bit of a scale thing going right here. On the one hand now, I want you to imagine your net worth. So this is all, I mean, this is your net worth in life. Do you feel it? In the one hand, got your net worth right there. Some of you are going like, not much right now, but you know, like here's your net worth. Now on the other hand, I want you to imagine all of your good works. Here's the good things that you're doing in life. And just let's, let's get the balance going. How does your net worth weigh out against your good works? If your net worth is way more than your good works, it may tell you where your hope is lying that way. Now, for sure, as a follower of Jesus, he's saying, I want your good works to be substantial in your life. In fact, you are actually saved to do good works. It's a little bit of a play on words that way because we know that we're not saved by doing good works. You don't become a Christian by doing good things. But once you become a Christian, you're known by doing good things. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, really kind of opens that whole truth up for us. But today, every one of us has this you know, in our lives, and this is what's going on. I'm giving more attention to building my net worth or I'm giving more attention to doing good works that way. Second test that he gives to us here, as he says this, still in verse 18, he said, tell them, make sure that you're generous and you're willing to share. So you just kind of check yourself and go like, how generous am I with the wealth that's been entrusted to me? Let me just throw out one more trick question here. How many believe that it is God's will for followers of his, followers of God, to become rich? I mean, it's God's will for us to be rich. Anybody? You like to think so, right? Now the truth of the matter is, the scripture is actually silent on that. He doesn't say, but he does say this. It is God's will for every one of us who are rich to manage or steward what we have well. Steward's the Bible word, but to manage what it is that we have. In fact, we'll give an answer to him for that, which takes us into Tyler and Erica's story. Here it is. My story with money kind of goes back to when I was young. Uh, I grew up in a single parent household and my mom did the very best that she could do with what she had. Um, not having a father around at the time, she was working two, three jobs to make ends meet. So I learned the work ethic from her, but I never learned how to manage the money properly. Um, so I never was responsible with money. I struggled with money most of my life. I eventually, I found that I could out-earn my own stupidity, so I'd dig a hole, and I'd dig myself out of the hole, but I was digging another hole at the same time, and it, I never got out of it, and it was a cycle. So I was very much a saver, but besides, you know, making sure I saved and about the credit score, I didn't know too much about, um, having a mortgage, you know, big debt, how to handle that. I really stressed out when the big bills in life started coming my way, so. When we first started dating, it was very, very difficult to talk about. Uh, communication was hard. It was hard to be transparent with it. 
I didn't know personally how to talk about it, and my way of talking about it wasn't necessarily the best way for her to talk about it. Um, so we found a lot of conflict to start. Yeah, he is very much a spender, and I knew that from day one, that would be a problem going forward. We had to address it, we had to talk about it, we had to be on the same page. So um, with all of life's big expenses, and we, we made it work, but there was a, there was a we're definitely opposites. When we were dating, um, we were in so much conflict and we weren't talking about it. We weren't sure how to get through it. And so Financial Peace University, Erica and I used as a form of premarital counseling. And when I proposed to Erica, that was a stipulation she had is to go through Financial Peace University together. I kept bringing it up. But she just was persistent with it. Well, they advertised it quite a bit at church, so we knew about it, and we knew it was something that they offered for free. We're like, what? we can't lose, but try it out. That was the best thing we could have done. On top of premarital counseling, taking the FPU class before getting married, getting on the same page, it really made our first year of marriage <laughs> beautiful, and we didn't struggle at all. The more I investigated it, and the more problems that I had, um, the more my problems snowballed, where I realized that I had to do it. I had to be humbled and transparent about a lot of things that um, were not necessarily easy for me to admit. Um, but with that, it, we became closer and stronger and a trust group, you know, and there became a foundation that we didn't have before. And with a little one on the way, um, two short months from now, I'm gonna have to rely on him a lot more. So it really takes all the stress away on me though, being able to just focus on baby and knowing We've got our household in order. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I can just focus 100% on that. I always thought because I was working, it was my money. Going into FPU, I learned that it's God's money and he's trusting me to manage it. And I need to be a good steward of that money. And when that mindset shift happened, it completely changed our relationship. Um, not just how we talk about money, but how we talk to each other, how we recon recognize each other's needs. I mean, everything. Fundamentally, everything changed. They say money needs to be with an open hand. So whatever comes in, you need to be open to having it go at the same time. So when we actually were able to get out of debt and make a plan and things like that, and we didn't have this weighing it down, money wasn't going there, um, you were actually able to get a new job. We're making more money than we ever have because we're not weighed down with our money needs to go there, it needs to go there. We don't have any stress about that now, so we're able to really yeah, have our money with an open hand. As I've gone through the Financial Peace University class and really grown spiritually and with money, um, I've learned now it's about leaving a legacy. It's about changing my family tree. It's about the future. It's not about me. It's not about the right now. Elijah is a big part of that, and we want to change his family tree and set him up for success. And so there's a lot of natural tension that comes with that. But when I could say I have a plan and this is the why, and there's a bigger picture and it's not about me, it's about us and God and that relationship, everything, everything is different from my mindset. Hey, did you join me in saying thanks to Erica and Tyler for being as open about that as what they were there? You heard him talking about um, FPU or Financial Peace University. We've actually got another uh, financial piece that's going to be starting in just about two weeks on February 7th. And I'd sure like to invite you to come out to be a part of it. I mean, you learn a lot about planning with money. You learn about, you know, budgeting. And there it's not that, you know, cringy word that's going to be going on there. And maybe more than anything else, you just learn about communicating. And if you're married, I mean, to be able to communicate about money and not have fights and warrings and tensions over that, I mean, what a gift that is. 
So let me just put out there, if you're in high school and you've never been through financial peace, I really want to encourage you, come to financial peace. Now, if you're in college, for sure, I mean, if you haven't been to financial peace, you want to be to financial peace. If you've made it in now to young adulthood and you haven't been to financial peace, do yourself a huge favor and come to financial peace. And if you're later in life, it's not too late for you. I mean, step up, come on and join us for financial peace so that you can, again, hear this well done from God and making sure that our hope is in the right place, but in our head is in the right place as well. So love to have you come out. You can just scan the QR code and you'll find out more. You can sign up for it um, at that point. One of the things that surprises people, at least to hear in church, is this. You can be an atheist and follow God's principles of money management and you're going to come out way ahead of them. You don't have to be Christian. But if you want to experience the personal working of God in your life through the means of money, it's only through giving that that begins to take place in our lives, which kind of brings us back to that point. You know, if we're rich, we want to make sure that we are being generous and willing to share. If I'm not generous, it's chances are my hope is actually shifted back over to Plutus, which again, he's always trying to win as many followers over as he can with that promise. I'll wrap up with some, I think, unusual words of Jesus. His disciples certainly weren't expecting these, and I think they come as a surprise to us too. When Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, that it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why would it be harder for somebody who's rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven than somebody who's poor to enter into the kingdom of heaven? I think a part of it is when your hope is here, it has a tendency to blind us. In fact, do I really need Jesus? Riches can blind me to the fact that I've got this need in my life, you know, because look at all this stuff that I have, or look, I'm doing just fine in life. And interestingly, Jesus said this to professing followers of his. It said, we are rich, in need of nothing. Look what we've increased to. And Jesus said, actually, his words, you are poor, naked, and blind. I counsel you. Get your hope back where your hope belongs. Riches also can blind me just the, the fact that I need Jesus in my life because like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Don't have to think about those things. I don't think about the fact that Jesus, his death on the cross was for me and for my sin because I use my riches to cover that. I don't think about the fact when he rose again, that's what gives me hope in life and hope for the more difficult things I face, things that money isn't gonna be able to do that way. And so I just wanna ask you, have you ever come to Jesus to say, I not only need your forgiveness, but I need hope for that which Plutus has never been able to give me in my life. And before we go, I just want to remind us, every one of us has our hope 
in one of these two today? I know you know the right answer, but what's the real answer? And where is it, whether you came in or not, you want to leave with your hope in? Then you want to declare that to Jesus. Would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, I confess that riches have distracted me from you, that the things of the world, the career, that achievement, Please forgive me. Help me keep my hope where I know that it needs to be, where I want it to be, and to be able to receive from you life and life to the full. And then for those that are, that are here with us, listening online, that are ready to put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, whether they have been blinded to their need previous to this, or pushing you away for some other reason, fear that they wouldn't be able to get to the things that they want to in life. So they come to you saying, I can see so clearly now, Jesus, that I need what you did on the cross for me. And I wanna ask you to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you in your prayer today, to trust Jesus Christ and to receive the forgiveness that he's provided for you, for you to become a follower of his, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand up as a confession of that. Thank you, online. You can just acknowledge that in the chat. For every person that is opening themselves to you again, for those that are doing it for the very first time today, Jesus, thank you that you are worthy of our hope, that you will not let us down, and that assured expectation that you will be there for us when we need you. Thank you for that. We pray this in your mighty name. And everybody in agreement said, amen. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.